Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, good afternoon and welcome to Stevens Creek Church. We're so glad that you're here. Happy New Year. Happy. Hope you've had a great holiday season. I'm telling you, Christmas at the Creek this year was off the charts. And I just want to thank all of the volunteers and uh, all of you that, that trusted us enough to invite your friends and family members to join us for Christmas Eve, uh, one of our six services. Um, we had, the last count I heard was 4,033 people. And so you trusted us and did a good job and you invited your folks. And so I think that's the largest Christmas Eve service that we've ever had, second even to just one other Easter service. So that was pretty incredible. So thank you very much. Uh, for doing that. And uh, 17 people accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior on Christmas Eve. So I praise the Lord for that. I will say that after six um, uh, Christmas Eve services, I was, my word count was low. Okay. Uh, I'd said everything I could say. And so Patty and I uh, had a little bucket list item that uh, we flew out to uh, Yellowstone National Park uh, for New Year's. And it was uh, something else. Um, we'd never done that before. Never, you know, we're Southerners, and we've never really experienced wintertime. And so th- we were introduced to wintertime, and it was a nice one-time experience. <laughs> Here's a couple of pictures, though. This is when we first got there. You see some of the, of the geysers uh, coming out in the background. It's pretty awesome. Quick thing on Yellowstone. There's only like one road opened up. And that's at the top. So if you want to go to the hotel there, you get on a snow coach at the gate and drive four hours to get to the hotel. And there's only two of those a day. So you're like in the middle of nowhere, literally. And so I'm, I'm excited. I'm thinking about the Clemson um, Notre Dame game and the Alabama game and so forth. And so I, I go into the hotel room to get checked in. No TV. You're in the middle of nowhere. And you can't go anywhere because the snow coach is already gone. And so no TV on the property. So I ended up having to watch the Belk Bowl, which was a tremendous game, um, on YouTube uh, once we got uh, South Carolina played Virginia. You probably don't even know that, um, but that's okay. So that's that. Next picture here. Uh, that's why Patty wanted to go. She's, she wanted to go see Buffalo, but we found out those aren't Buffaloes. Those are bison. There's a difference between buffalo and bison. Don't ask me what, but there is. That was pretty cool. Next one is, uh, that's just uh, on Sunday of that week, said it snowed an inch an hour. So, I mean, it was just coming down. Never seen that kind of stuff before. And the last one is, this is my bank robber pose. Um, and, and the reason I'm, we're dressed like that, it was 17 below zero on uh, New Year's Day. That's not windshield. That is 17. You know, our tour guide that I said, I said, wait a minute. I said, when do y'all stop doing it? How cold is it? He said, oh, we stop at 40 below. So you're fine. And so uh, needless to say, uh, it's the first time we've ever seen real winter. Some of you guys are for your Yankees. You see real winter all the time uh, growing up, but we haven't seen winter. And so we've experienced it and, um, and it was exciting. Uh, one time event. <laughs> well, that's enough uh, catching up. So um, we're glad to be home and glad to be around people again. 
So today we're starting our 21 days of prayer, and we believe that God is going to use this to help connect you with your purpose and His plan in this community. And so I want to start with asking you a question. If you had one prayer to pray, what would it be? If you had one prayer to pray, what would it be? Would you pray for your future? Would you pray about your spiritual life? Would you pray about your marriage or your family, your kids, your career? What do you want God to do in your life? What do you want God to do in your life? I want you to think about that, not just in this message, but I want you to think about it over the coming few days. As we enter into this season of 21 days of prayer, as we start 2019, what do you want God to do in your life? You see, I believe that God hears and answers prayer. The Bible actually says that you have not because you ask not. So God hears and God answers. But, but the problem is most of us struggle with this idea of praying. We struggle with this concept of prayer. We, we want to know, are we doing it right? And so many times our prayers are so passive. Our prayers are so routine, so predictable. And they end up being faithless. I mean... Most of our prayers like this. Oh, God, help me meet the deadline. Oh, God, uh, help me close the deal. Oh, God, help me uh, get a date or help me find my keys or help me find my glasses or God, help me get a parking space. Yeah. And so I know those prayers because I pray those kind of prayers. You know, if God didn't answer any of those prayers, wouldn't most of them work out anyway? I mean, you're going to get a parking place if you keep circling the mall over and over. Eventually, something's going to come uh, come open. I mean, you're probably going to live indoors, and you're probably going to have some food to eat. And you're going to get over your cold, and you're going to eventually get over your strep throat, and you're going to drive safely to Grandma's house. And as we begin 21 days of prayer, do you really want to spend another season of prayer coming to God, the God that we sang about, the God that is powerful, the God that is mighty, the God that is big, the God that is strong? Do you really want to spend another season coming to God with stuff that will probably work out anyway? Isn't there something bigger that you want to pray about? Isn't there something grander that you want to pray about? God is just waiting for you to ask. So here's my question to you. What is the big thing that you are praying for? You can fill in the blanks. What is the big thing that you're praying for? Today, I want to challenge you to step up your prayer life. I want to encourage you to learn what it means to press in, to learn what it means to be persistent, to be consistent in your prayer life. I want you to come to the God, come to God with this, this attitude. God, if you don't answer this prayer, th- this is not going to happen. God, unless you touch me, I'll never see this happen. I need you. Have you ever prayed to God with passion? Or is your entire prayer life, oh God, help me, oh God, bless me, God, help her, God, help him, Uh, God, bless this food and the hands that prepared it in Jesus' name, amen. Is that the, the whole 
view of prayer that you have, if that sounds like your prayer life, then your prayer life sounds like mine sometimes. So the question is, what is the big thing that you are praying for? What is that big thing? So many times we start praying, but then before we see an answer, we give up and we move on. And as a result of that, we live defeated lives. Uh, And we live as though we really don't believe that God hears and God answers prayers. Have you ever stopped and listened to people's prayer requests? Have you ever been in a small group where where you're waiting around uh, for somebody uh, to give a prayer request and said, do you have any prayer requests? And and it's like dead silence for about, about three minutes. And then somebody says, oh, I remembered one. Yeah, my, my second cousin's neighbor. And, and, and no doubt that second cousin's neighbor really has a need. But if it takes you three minutes to remember a prayer request, that's not coming out of a heart of passion. When something is on your mind and something that you're burdened about, I'm telling you, you will learn how to pray with passion. Some of you have been thinking about things all week long. You've been thinking about your life. You've been thinking about your job. You've been thinking about your children. You've been thinking about uh, your future. And what I am encouraging you to do is to take those passions and make those passions points of prayer. That you bring that to God. And when you bring that to God, it's not going to take you three minutes to figure out what you need to pray about. It's going to be something that has been on your heart. Something that that has been uh, on your mind that you've been thinking about that. Here's my point. Your prayers should be big enough to honor your big God. Your prayers should be big enough to honor your big God. So over the next few minutes, I want to encourage you. And I want to teach you about praying big prayers. Then I'm going to share a big prayer at the end that we're going to join together. And we believe that we're going to pray this uh, prayer into existence. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 11. And in this uh, passage of scripture, the disciples asked Jesus a question. He said, Lord, will you teach us to pray? Now, this was a very interesting question when when you realize that these were good Jewish boys. They had been praying all their lives. I mean, they had gone to synagogue. They had gone up to the temple in Jerusalem. They had heard some incredible people pray uh, public prayers. But yet, when they watched Jesus pray and listened to Jesus pray, his prayers were different. They said, you know, we pray and you pray, but your prayers are different. Will you teach us how to pray like you pray? And so Jesus starts off, Luke chapter 11, verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said, you know, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Now, some of you are saying, okay, that sounds familiar. That's the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? But wait a minute. That's not how it goes. That's not the real Lord's Prayer. I mean, what's up with that? What you have to understand is that most of us have memorized the Lord's Prayer from the book of Matthew. 
This is the book of Luke. I think Jesus is giving this prayer with different words this time just to remind us that we don't have to say the same thing every time we come to God in prayer. We don't have to say the same thing the same way. So many times I I fall into that trap. I come to God in prayer and I say the same thing over and over. And God is saying, mix it up. Let it come from a heart, your heart, not just from your memory. And so Jesus launches into this little discussion that goes into the heart of what prayer is all about. And he uses a story to teach them about what it means to be persistent in their prayers. Listen to what he says, verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go and and you go to him at midnight and you say, hey, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to give him. Now, the disciples at this point immediately knew that Jesus was telling one of those made up stories. We call those made-up stories parables. And they knew that in the parables, there were spiritual lessons that could be learned. So at this point, they would lean in to listen to this story that Jesus is telling. And then when they hear it, when the disciples hear Jesus say that this guy showed up at midnight, all of a sudden they leaned in because they thought, okay, there's no way that the guy's going to get any bread at midnight. It's not going to happen. And to understand that, you've got to understand how people slept in those days. In the Middle East, uh, uh, many homes would have a room for the guys to sleep and a room for the girls to sleep. Other homes would not be so large and they would only have one room and everybody would go to sleep in the same room and they would share blankets so they could keep warm together. They didn't have HVAC systems like we have. And so they would, uh, uh, they would share blankets and they'd try to stay warm. So you couldn't stay up late um, after everybody had gone to bed. It was kind of like an all-skate. You all went to bed at the same time and you all got up at the same time. It's like some of you when you go camping. You know, you all go to bed at the same time. You're in, in the camper. You all get up at the same time. And so... Um, This guy is banging on the door and he said, I've got some friends that need some bread. Will you get up and give me some bread? And the guy's laying uh, in bed with his whole family. And he said, I can't get up and give you bread. If I get up, then everybody gets up. And I want you to settle down here because you're about to wake up the whole family here. We go next verse, verse seven. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door, is, the door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. Notice those words. I can't get up and give you anything. And by this time, the disciples definitely knew this was not a true story, but this was a parable. And since it's a parable, that means that uh, this story represents us, the people, the listeners, the hearers of the, the story. Now, they're trying to figure out who is who in this story. Now, remember, he started off this chapter talking about prayer. And so we're talking about prayer. And the person in this story that represents us uh, rep- is the guy who's asking for something. He is asking for bread. That means that the person who represents God is the guy who is asleep and says, don't bother me. 
It's late and I'm not going to get up. And that's an interesting part of the story. But that doesn't sound like a God I want to pray to. It didn't sound like a God that these disciples wanted to pray to also. A God that is asleep and didn't want to get up. I mean, let's be honest. Have you ever felt like God was asleep on you? Have you ever felt like that you prayed for something week after week after week and there's no answer? Have you ever prayed and you feel like your prayers didn't get past the ceiling? You ever felt like you were bothering God with your prayers? You see, Jesus represents God as a person who is asleep and does not want to be bothered, who does not want to help anybody who's considered to be a friend. Interesting story. Let's move on. Verse 8. I'll tell you that even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, the NIV says, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Jesus is saying, hey, this guy's not going to get up and help his friend because he's a friend. The only thing that's going to make this guy get up and disturb his whole family is not the need that won't go away. It's more than that. It's the shameless audacity. And the Greek word has another one for that. It would be the boldness of this man or translated the persistence. And so we see that this man came and knocked on the door with shameless, boldness, persistence. He said, I am knocking. I need bread. I'm not going to stop knocking until you get up and give me bread. And Jesus said that the only reason this guy is going to get up and give his friend some bread is because of his shameless boldness and his persistence. And of course, the disciples said, surely, wait a minute, you don't, you're not saying God's like that. No, no, no. You're not saying God is like that, are you? Jesus said, well, you asked me about prayer. So I am telling you about prayer. And the disciples were sorry that they asked him. Because they, they didn't see it that way. We don't get it. You're talking about begging and pleading and asking and banging on doors as if God is reluctant to do anything. And Jesus said, and basically that's how it is sometimes. Listen to how he explains it in verse 9. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the doors will be open to you. He gives us three words, ask, seek, and knock. If we were to look at the language of the day, which is Greek, and look at those words within their context, this is what it means in English. Ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. This lesson that Jesus is teaching about prayer is this. He is teaching his disciples to learn how to be persistent in their prayers. It's a lesson about boldness. And honestly, most of us didn't grow up like this. I mean, we grew up with with prayers like, oh, the Lord bless you and the Lord keep you and the Lord may his face shine upon you and may you have a safe trip home and come back next week. 
Now, I love when people speak words of life and hope over me. So I'm not saying that that's a bad prayer, but that's really all that we have heard. Prayers in the Bible are different than our prayers. If you read prayers in the Bible, you'll see people who went after God, who chased after God. You'll see people like Abraham who came after God and Moses who came after God and and David and Isaiah. And they came after God and said, God, don't ignore me. Listen to me. You promised. Now keep your promises. And people say, wait a minute. You can't talk to God that way. But God was not offended. He honored their persistence and their boldness. It was like God was saying, finally, somebody asked me something big. Here's the point. I believe that God is honored by bold and persistent prayers. I believe that God is honored by bold and persistent prayers. Next verse, verse 10. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. Now, let's be honest. Most of us, we want to offer up a prayer on Monday and we expect an answer by Thursday. We want to pray Monday, get an answer by Thursday, but you've got to understand just because you ask God to do something on Monday does not mean that he has obligated to answer you by Thursday. Some of you may have to wait several weeks for the answer to come. Some of you will wait several months. Some of you have prayed for something for several years. But we go back to that scripture. Where everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds And whoever knocks, the door will be open. I think there's something to this. So often we just give up. We just throw up a prayer and then when it doesn't happen, we just give up. What's the big thing you're praying for? I look at our generation and, and I wonder if, if, if we've lost the passion of persistence. You know, in my grandparents' generation, and I've heard them talk about this, that they would, they would use phrases like this, that, that we're going to stand in the gap here. That we're going to pray until the answer comes. They, my grandma would say, we're going to hold on to the horns of the altar, which is an Old Testament concept. We're going to hold on. And we're not going to give up. We're going to pray until we pray through. That they understood what it meant to be persistent. To go after God. To chase after God. And say, God, we're not going to give up. We're not going to give in. We're going to pray until the answer comes. And when I look around this room, let me say this, that some of you are the answer to your grandparents' prayers. You are the miracle in their lives. Because they got up and they prayed for their sons and their daughters. And they prayed for their grandchildren, their grandsons and granddaughters. And you have been the recipient of your grandparents' prayers. And and maybe they have gone on to be with the Lord. But yet you're here and it's a miracle that you're in church. 
Because some of you can look back at your life and you can see where you took a turn and you took a different path. And don't you know that your grandparents were on their knees praying for your eyes to be open, for you to understand that the path that you are taking is not the path that is destined for you. And they have prayed you back to the right path. However, they didn't live long enough to see it. But yet the, the, their prayers have been answered because you are at Stevens Creek Church. And there have been times in your life where you thought, man, the, the ceiling will fall in if I ever in, in, go into a church. And yet you're here. It's the power of persistent prayer. So what is the big thing that you are praying for? What is the big thing that you're going to say, God, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to stand in the gap. I'm going to pray until the answer comes. I'm going to push through this. I'm going to believe. God, I'm going to pray this with passion. I'm going to stand on your word. What is that thing that you are praying for? God is saying to you, ask me boldly for something big. God is saying to you, ask me boldly for something big. God can do anything. Don't spend another 21 days. Don't spend another month praying about things that really don't matter. That's going to work out anyway. I want you to come and ask and keep on asking. And I want you to come and seek and keep on seeking. And I want you to come and knock and keep on knocking until you see the answer come. A few years ago, Bill Bright... uh, was a young businessman. And as a young businessman, God rattled his cage. He he put a burden on Bill Bright's heart for college students. He told a story one day of spending, uh, spreading out a map of the world on his uh, dining room table. And he and his wife laid hands on that map and prayed this prayer. God, give us the world. Now, that's a big prayer. This young professional couple said, God, we give you our lives. Now, we pray that you'd give us the world. And God honored their prayer. And today, hundreds and hundreds of people are being impacted by the organization that he started called Campus Crusade for Christ. Today, hundreds of thousands of college students are being saved and discipled through the ministry of Campus Crusade. That was a big prayer. God, give us the world. I want Stevens Creek Church to pray big prayers. In March 1996, Patty and I, we were desperately looking for property to build this church. And we had worked with so many real estate agents across the the area trying to find the right piece of property, and we just couldn't find it. And one day, the Lord woke me up at 5 o'clock in the morning, I got up to pray, and at 7 o'clock, I went and got in the newspaper, and I opened up the newspaper, and for the first time, I saw seven acres of land on Evans Lock Road for sale. I knew it would take more land for the church that we were going to build, but I went to to visit that land, and Mr. Davis owned it, and... and, um, and so I knew that I had to put together several pieces of land. And I'm back there driving uh, onto the land. And the first thing I looked, uh, I said, Mr. Davis, how, many, how much road frontage do you have here? He said, I don't have any road frontage. And I'm thinking, like, God, you woke me up at 5 o'clock in the morning to pray and there's no road frontage here? I mean, seriously? 
That was literally my, my thoughts. Um, and I, then I went to plan B. I said, okay, do you, how about this land, who, the people who own the road frontage? Do you think they would sell? And he said, well, Miss Goforth owns that. You think, I don't know if she, and he said, Mr. Rhodes owns this land. I said, do you think he'd sell? I don't know, but we looked up and there's a four-wheel drive uh, truck coming down this dirt road. And he said, I don't know, there's Mr. Rhodes now. You can ask him. So Mr. Rhodes got out of the car. I, said, I introduced myself. I said, hey, uh, would you sell me this property? He said, that ain't my property. That's my cousin's. And I thought, oh, my goodness. He said, but if you want some land, I'll sell you some land over on Stevens Creek Road. And so we got in the car that day, uh, and we drove over here, and Patty and I walked this property. And this property right here where we're sitting, it was a, a knoll here and um, an open field with trees all around it. And we, we held hands, and we prayed, oh, God, give us this land, and God, let this church be an influence for Christ in this community. It's been 23 years, if my math is right. It'll be 24 in March. And I've seen that persistent prayer being answered. I see it answered in so many of your lives. I see how you are leaders in this community. That you are the influence for Christ in this community. You're the leaders at your workplace. You're people of influence in your classroom. You're people of influence in, in the sporting leagues. You're people of influence in, um, in the service work around this community. That prayer that we prayed 23 years ago is being answered. I thought about it just past the week when I opened up the paper and I saw a Stevens Creeker, Doug uh, Duncan, installed as the Columbia County uh, Chairman. And my mind went back to 1996 when we prayed that prayer, God, let this church be a place of influence. When I turn on the television on, on Saturday night at 6 and see uh, Neil Gordon, who has just launched a TV show called Crosstalk, I think about an influence for Christ in this community. I, look, I can look all across this room and I see people. You are leaders. You are people of influence. And so I say, God, give us this community. And that's, that's, our, that's our prayer, God. God, give us this community. God, let it be a place where the lost can be found and the broken can be healed. This past August, God reminded me of what, why he placed this church in this community. Many of you heard this story. But Patty and I had an opportunity to go to Lakewood uh, where Joel Osteen and Victoria Osteen is the pastors. And we were there on a Tuesday morning. And then uh, at Lakewood, there's a 70-year-old pastor from Chicago came to me. And he stopped me and said, he said, I don't know you, but the Lord is uh, saying to you that there's a second harvest coming for you. Now, he didn't know that when we started this church, it was called Church of the Harvest. And he said that the second harvest will be bigger than the first harvest. And, you know, I thought, okay, that's pretty interesting. And so that was on a Tuesday. On Friday, I was in South Atlanta because JT was getting ordained. And we went out to lunch after the ordination service. And, and a pastor uh, from Dalton came up to me and said, Marty, said, I just need to tell you something. He said, I really feel like the Lord would say to you, there's a second harvest coming. And the second harvest will be bigger than the first harvest. That night, we were in church uh, at a service, uh, a camp meeting service for our denomination and 
Sammy Rodriguez was preaching. Now, you, Sammy Rodriguez is the guy that prayed over President Trump on the inauguration. He worked closely with President Obama, and he worked for the Bush administration. And so, uh, and he is preaching away, and he stops on the stage, and he looks. He said, there's a pastor here, and I've got a message for you that there's a second harvest coming. And that the second harvest will be bigger than the first harvest. So three times within the span of five days, I heard that. And what I hear in that is I hear that in this place. So when we set a record on Christmas Eve of 4,033, I think that's a confirmation that there's a second harvest coming. So how do we handle that? How do we pray about that? This is 21 days of prayer. Now, when you walk through the doors, you'll see uh, there's icons on the door as you walk in. There's seven icons. And this is also in our new members class. Now, these icons represent the seven steps of Stevens Creek. Now, I realize some of you think that church just happens, okay? You just show up and church just happens. And... But there's a method there's a strategy behind this. And the strategy that we embraced a long, long time ago. And it's simple. It's a seven-step strategy of taking somebody who's irreligious, somebody who's unchurched, and you're turning them into a fully devoted follower of Christ. So how do you do that? You've got a friend that's so far from God. How do you turn him into a fully devoted follower of Christ? Here's how you do that. First of all, you've got to be nice to people. You've got to be kind. I say that regularly because it is so important. On Christmas Eve, a pastor from Knoxville came to uh, church here. He said, yeah, we, we didn't have Christmas Eve services. We're here with family. And um, uh, so I thought we came. And then he said to me, Marty said, you've got such a happy church. He said, how do you get happy people? And he said, I need to bring our church down here so that they can learn how to be happy. I laughed. He laughed. But I thought it goes back to kindness. You got to be nice to people. You got to be kind to people. Here's what, that's the very first thing that when you go out here, that you make it a point that you're going to be kind to other people. The Bible says that kindness will lead people to repentance. Okay. And so that's the first step. Now, when you're kind to people, what's going to happen? You're going to develop a friendship with those individuals. You're going to develop that friendship. You're going to get to know that person. And it could be at the um, grocery line at Publix. It could be at, uh, coaching a, a, a basketball team or a baseball team. But you're going to get to know that person. This is when the Holy Spirit gets involved in the conversations. And they're going to ask you a question. And you're going to respond, well, I don't really know, but let me tell you what happened to me. And you're going to tell your story. And you don't have to use a lot of religious words because they don't know religious words. Just say, this is what happened in my life. Just tell your story. That's step two. And then in, as you tell that story, you're going to have an opportunity to say these words. Hey, why don't you come to church with me Sunday? You're going to invite your new friend to a service here at Stevens Creek. Step three, invite them. And so we're praying through the seven steps. God, give us an opportunity to say those words. Why don't you come to church with me Sunday? And you say those words when you hear words like, well, I'm not from around here. Our things are not going well and so forth. Then you say, hey, why don't you come to church with me Sunday? 
And then that person's going to come. And oftentimes they'll sit in the back. And oftentimes they'll be the first one out the door. But here's the point. The point is that we believe that the Spirit of God is in this place. And that God's going to soften their hearts. And that they're going to want to come back next week. And it come back the next week. Now, this may take some time. I'm telling you, my next-door neighbor, uh, one of my former next-door neighbors, he came back for nine months before one day he lifted his hands to receive Christ. And so, just come. But one, it's going to happen. Because we're going to pray that it happens. Because God wants that person found more than you do and I do. There's going to come a point where they're going to accept Christ and they're going to start attending regularly. They're going to receive communion. They're going to be baptized. They're going to be a member of the church. And and then from there, the next step is that we want their lives to change and we believe that life change happens the best in the community. And so we want you to get involved in a small group. And then next, you've been given gifts and talents. We want you to serve Christ in His church. Volunteer. And the seventh step is simply this. We want you to love the Lord. We want you to love the church enough that you're willing to participate financially, that you're willing to return the tithe. So those are the seven steps. So let's get real practical. How, how are we going to do this? I want you to take out this card on your seat. It says, my seven targets for God's blessing. We are starting 21 days of prayer. The church will be open at 6 a.m. tomorrow. We have prayer service at 7. And I would like for you to write down seven, the names of seven people that you're praying over this 21 days and you're saying, God, bless them. God, let your favor rest upon them. Some of you will be praying for family members. Some of you will be praying for co-workers. In our 1030 service, we had a row full of people from one company. And they laughed and said, yeah, we look, uh, hopefully we'll have a whole section from our company. So just write down those people. This is something you're going to keep for three weeks. And that every day you're going to say, God, touch, bless these people. God, let your blessing, let your favor be on these people. My friend, my, my uh, co-workers, my relatives. Okay. Now, let's talk about 21 days of prayer. You have another card that looks like this. Today, I am praying for. What do you need God to do? What is the big thing that you are praying for? What is the big thing? I want you to write down that big thing. Just write it down in faith. God, this is what I am praying for. Now, if you would like for us to join with you... In agreement. The Bible says where two shall agree touching one thing, it shall be done. If you want us to join with you and pray for this, Todd's going to come around in just a couple of minutes and we're going to sing a song. You can come and put this prayer request card on this stage. The stage becomes an altar. And I promise you tomorrow there'll be somebody praying over this. In fact, what will happen is they'll pray over it and they'll put a check mark just so that we know that every card is prayed over. Some of you may even want to take uh, those markers and write the name of the person you're praying for on the windows. We pray over the names on the windows. You'll notice that all of them are clean now because we clean them December 31st because we want to pray new prayers for the new year.
So what do you need God to do in your life? This is what I'm, maybe it's a health concern. Maybe it's a financial concern. Maybe it's a, um, a family member. Write it down and we're going to join with you and pray. So as we sing that song, uh, you can come forward and place it on the stage. But as we prepare our hearts, I want to have a prayer over us. And let's stand together and have this closing prayer. And then Todd's going to come and lead us in a song. Father, we thank you for your word. And God, we ask that this word would go deep in our hearts. That we would learn what it means to pray persistent prayers. That we would ask and we would seek. And we would knock. I pray, Father, over this congregation, for there are people in this room that are struggling with their faith. I pray that during this season, that their struggles uh, would come to a place where they understand how much you love them and how you have a plan for their lives. I pray, God, that people would be saved today in this service. And if that's you, just say, Jesus, save me. Say this, say, Jesus, make me into the kind of person you'd have me to be. I give you my life. I pray over the needs in this congregation, Lord. We believe that you're able to do immeasurably more than you ask or imagine. So God, let your word be true. And we pray this in faith, believing. And in Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.